This is Atypical Parenting, the podcast that discusses all things related to parenting someone on the autistic spectrum. My name is Dawn Tree, and I'm a psychiatric nurse practitioner, but more importantly, I'm the mother of an autistic adult. Each week, along with special guests, I hope to bring you relevant information and encouragement to parents and caregivers of people on the spectrum. Join us for a new episode every Monday and follow the show on Instagram at atypical underscore parenting. Oh, that was quick. It looks like it didn't do the full countdown, but hi. Oh, hi. <laughs> How are Hello. you? Good. It's good uh, to be here. Yes, it's wonderful. I really, honestly, I'm so uh, thankful and grateful to you for uh, agreeing to come on the podcast and thank chat you. with me about these difficult topics. So yeah, uh, thank you for inviting you're me. You're welcome. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I, uh, this spring, I retired from a fifth. I think about 15 year career as a complex trauma therapist. Um, I started out in California and then moved to Texas. And um, for the last five years, I had my own private practice specializing in complex trauma. And especially within that, um, working with folks who had experienced psychological abuse as well as religious trauma and abuse. So those are my areas of specialization. Wow. And, um, you know, some of those are also part of my own lived experience um, pieces too. Um, at the end of, well, at this spring, kind of May to June, I made the decision I made the decision before, but the transition happened in May and June um, to close my counseling practice and pivot into coaching. And there's a lot of different reasons that um, went into that decision. Um, And a lot of it has to do with just trying to work with how my brain and my body works and um, feeling burnt out of the trauma works, not, not my clients. My clients are some of the most extraordinary humans I've ever met in my life. Um, but just kind of the field and especially with the last couple of years with the pandemic and so many things going on, it just kind of felt like I, I need, I need something else <laughs> for my own right. sustainability. Well- Absolutely. 15 years in trauma work is like a really long time because it's super heavy work, you know? It is. Yeah. I I think I have been unpacking that reality in the last few months. Like, oh, yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> you know, Absolutely. like there, there are careers that you can be in for 20, 30 years. And maybe if there were different, if I was moving into different aspects of therapy, I could continue. Um, but like, I, I love doing trauma work and also could not continue for my yeah. own wellness yeah. sake. I totally get it. So, so yeah. tell me what you're doing now. You have this new project going. Yes. So now as an expansive mindset coach, I coach other late identified autistic and the ADHD adults and entrepreneurs. I am also a late identified autistic ADHD entrepreneur. <laughs> um, and 
I just found as, as I was in this process of, uh, again, starting a new business, there are so many neurodivergent entrepreneurs, oftentimes because we don't work in the kind of mainstream corporate setting. And so we end up finding our way to entrepreneurship so that we can build a life that works for us. And there just aren't a lot of resources and support systems or even methodologies for neurodivergent entrepreneurs, like such as marketing. A lot of the marketing Mm -hmm. works amazing for like extroverted neurotypical people, (laughs) like the cold calling, talk to people, that is not going to work. Yeah. For many. 6 a.m. networking breakfasts are not going to do it. (laughs) No. So I just, I really felt like I, I want to, I want to participate in building, building that system of support, building new ways of networking, building um, community spaces where neurodivergent entrepreneurs can support one another, can hire one another, right? And, um, you know, they're, by creating this resource for us as autistic, ADHD, and other neurodivergent folks, other parts of the world will benefit, right? Like corporations will be able to uh, more quickly identify neurodivergent folks who have the strengths that they want um, for the different roles. So that's, I I got kind of like carried away, but that's kind of the big vision. It's a great topic though, because it's really, it really makes me think of like the disconnect between sustainable employment and high functioning autistic individuals because there's a huge gap, right? Like the statistics for unemployed autistic adults, like is hugely higher than the general population. It's insane. It's like the statistics are so grim and it's, it's also difficult to find statistics for like autistic entrepreneurs like that mm-hmm. specifically, I don't, I think a lot of people don't put those pieces together. Like what autistics could be entrepreneurs and business owners, but also there just isn't a lot of data yet. I, th- I think you're totally right though, because it's the perfect setup, right? Because for an autistic person to have to work on a nine to five and sleep when they're supposed to sleep and you know, rub shoulders with Bob and Jim and Sally, that, that shit just is not going to work. Right. And I think the thing, like so many of us, myself included, I'm in my forties and I just came into my autistic ADHD identity a couple of years ago. So that was a lot of time for me to live a life attempting to fit into the expectations of like, neuronormative standards right and and i tried i i have worked hard and and i can do the 9 to 5 office work however it takes so much more energy for me to operate in a space like that that it really detracts from like what my strengths are, what my talents are, what, 
you know, kind of my natural giftings are that I, that I would love to be <laughs> engaging my brain in doing. And so, I mean, as part of my own journey started with when the pandemic started, I moved from an in-person therapy practice to a totally virtual telemental health practice. And in doing that, I had the opportunity, really, it, it was a privilege to be able to fully customize my space and my schedule and my hours to exactly. That must have been life changing for you. Well, yeah, it it absolutely was. And it's what led me to understand oh, I'm, a, I'm autistic. I mean, it, it was a key key piece of that puzzle. And now, you know, there's a lot of people who would ask like, hey, are you thinking, are you going to return to the office, you know, eventually? And and probably several months in, I was like, uh, nope, I like this. <laughs> I don't know that I ever want to return to an office setting. And I found yeah. there was so much more of me to be present in my work with clients, which that's what I'm there for. Um, I really love that you figured out this thing about yourself and how much happier it made you and that you're using that experience to pay it forward and to make other people's lives better because that's what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, that's my hope. I would love to see, you know, like a lot of people talk about like, oh, everybody's thinks they're autistic because they saw some TikToks and, and <laughs> I mean, I'll be frank. Yeah. I saw some TikToks and I was like, Hmm, this, this is telling my life story to me. <laughs> so right. maybe there's something to this. And again, I well, think, you know, I mean, women are not diagnosed as readily and they're not quite mm. as, uh, the symptoms are not quite as, out there as male your male counterparts so well and that that also like the dsm criteria and the the like stereotyped um profile of an autistic yes. person is really narrow it it is based on research that was done with like white cishet boys right sure so absolutely anyone yeah. that falls outside of that is an anomaly because the profile is so narrow. Right. Um, and so I think I, you know, I think there are a lot of people who had a similar experience with the pandemic. Those folks who had the chance to move from in office work to remote work, having these realizations of, wow, when I get to customize my environment to what works for me and like implement all these accommodations, it's a game changer. And I think that that is reflected in the huge number of folks who were not interested in going, returning back to the office when companies were like, okay, come back to the office. People found I work much better and I have much, much more like life work balance and, and, you know, motivation and energy to, to be present in my work when all these other factors can be like at, at optimum for, for whatever sensory needs there are. And so I think in the last two years, there has been this surge of people identifying themselves. One, because there have been more and more 
um, resources available through social media. And two, because people have had an experience of being out of their norm environment for long enough to notice, wait a minute, this, I don't, this doesn't work and I don't want to go back to that. So what do, what do I do now? <laughs> Where do I go? Yeah. Yeah. So you said, how old were you when you were identified as autistic? Not too far no, along there I would say, in the past. Um, probably 41. It's just been in the last couple of years and I'm 43. So. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And so when you look back at growing up and your teenage, your early adult, like, do you see areas where it really impacted you negatively, not knowing? Yes. I see, you know, I see a lot of things. I mean, there's definitely things that I see like, oh, yeah, that's totally an autistic kid thing to do. Um, like I borrowed the same book from the library. I just kept renewing it and no other kids wanted it. It was some obscure book. And finally the school <laughs> library, this is an elementary school. Finally in the school library is like, just, you may have the book. It was like tattered and torn. Nobody else wanted it anyway. And, you know, looking back, I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't think that's really like a super neurotypical thing. Um, but I think, also, because there's like a cluster of other things that go along with autistic and ADHD, like dyslexia, dyscalculia, I think I said that right, hopefully, I look back and I see, oh, yeah, there there were challenges that I had in school, in reading and in math and the way that my brain conceptualized different things. And I worked really hard for the grades that I had that were, you know, pretty decent, like A's and B's. Um, but it was definitely an exhausting struggle. And I look back and I think about like, huh, I wonder what would be different if there were like different things known about me or different accommodations. And also, I was born in the late 70s, and so I have a whole lot of compassion for myself and my parents and teachers. Like you said before, like nobody knew. <laughs> nobody knew to know. Nobody knew to ask questions. Right, exactly. It, it really was not high-functioning autism, was really not a thing until right. the mid-90s or so in our, yeah. you know. So when I look back, I'm, I don't look back with like anger or resentment around like, how come nobody noticed this? You know, like it, it just wasn't on anyone's mind to, to notice. And I, well, let's face it in the (laughs) seventies, the eighties, like mental health was not even a thing, right? right? Like you just, you know, you just dealt with it and stopped crying or they'd right. give you something to cry and about, I was, right? I like, was compliant. I was like a good kid. You know, those things, like, again, you know, different things masking. So, yeah, I, like, there's parts of me that, that grieved not knowing just because 40 plus years is a long time to, like, go through kind of swimming against the current. Um Sure. And also, I don't I don't think it anybody could have done anything differently unless there was some kind of like autistic pioneer back in the day. But, um, you know, now I I go with the whole I think it's um, my Angelo quote paraphrased when you know better, you do better. So now I know. Absolutely. Yeah. And that allows me to. You know, communicate certain things with 
people in my life, like, hey, I've learned this about myself. This is a communication style that works best for me. How how can we incorporate that? Or, you know, um, yeah, just just as, being able to ask for what I need and being more like self-compassionate about it because it's not like it's not mm. I don't need this because there's something wrong with me. I need this because this is just how my brain and my body works. Um, and so that shift in like narrative of something is wrong with you. You're inherently broken. You're an alien from another planet. You just don't fit. You don't belong. All those things that I either came up with or were told to me by outside sources, um, other peers and whatnot. That narrative shifted when I learned about myself because then I could realize, oh, yeah, it, it like I'm not broken. I have a different way of existing in the world and it is beautiful in its own right. There are stressors because a lot of the world is not designed for how, how I work. Um, but asking for the things that I need or, or building a life around them is n- like, I get to do that. <laughs> I get to take up that space. Um, and that, wow. Wow. that, I don't know, it, it's, in some ways, I feel like knowing this about my identity has, like, propelled my self-love and self-compassion forward in a way that I hadn't experienced before, which is pretty amazing. I think that's true when you get, you know, when you sort of are confused about what's happening and you have all these things that aren't aren't good about yourself or or right or you know, to get a diagnosis is pretty liberating. Yes. And I hear that. Yeah. Validating. I hear that from so many people. Um, yeah. Even me, I felt that way with my mm-hmm. son when we got finally figured out that it was autism. It was like, oh, I'm not a bad mother, right? Like, oh, my kid is right. not bad. He, uh, It's not that he doesn't know how to follow rules. Right. right. Like, It's like um, he wants them to make sense. Yeah. And if they don't make sense. How did you... How did you finally get a, do you have a formal diagnosis? I've just self-identified. No. Um, I think, I think for me, um, I haven't dived into getting formal diagnosis because of a lot of stories that I've heard from other, um, especially like women and AFAB non-binary people. That's non-binary people who are assigned female at birth, socialized as girls. Um, There's a lot of people who've had really invalidating experiences Mm. trying to get a diagnosis, going through the assessment and being really invalidated um, or, or dismissed like, well, you made eye contact. So there's no way possible. Or, you know, (laughs) you have a graduate degree. So like, there's no way possible you could be autistic, right? These, these things that are based on the stereotypes and, and also based on the external observations of an autistic person rather than assessments based on the like internal lived experience of an autistic person. Mm -hmm. And it, the assessments are not cheap either. They cost an incredible amount of time and money. 
If you can even find one. Right. If you can even and find so one. And so at this point, I yeah. have not been interested in paying for a potentially invalidating experience. Um, yeah. Well, I don't see that there's a whole lot of benefit for you yeah. anyway. I mean, I th- I think there's, it's it's absolutely a personal decision and, and each person navigates in their own way. Um, for some folks, diagnosis is important if they are employed you know, by someone else and Mm -hmm. they need to have that documentation in order to get the accommodations that they need. Um, Mm -hmm. But I'm, I'm with you on, you know, sometimes people talk about diagnosis, like it's um, like a dirty word or something. And I think for so many people, and I found this in my trauma therapy practice to name things this is complex trauma this is ptsd it was such a relief to have a name for something and i think having a name for something is different than labeling things in my mind absolutely absolutely i think it takes away the element of shame yes. right it's not about you it's not because you're whatever yes it's because it's a right. thing. And if we have a name yeah. for it, then we can go about finding what to do with it. That like not everything right. we name needs to be fixed. Sometimes the things that we name just just need to be understood and, and like accommodated. Um, yeah. But sometimes we can't do that so, without a name. So I want to talk to you about accommodations, mm-hmm. actually, yeah. now that this is sort of we've been talking about this. So. Say somebody wants to be an entrepreneur, um, but they're not quite there yet. And they are working for the man, so to speak. And what sort of accommodations do you think would help people in that situation? Like, what should they even ask for? I think a lot of it is going to depend on the specific needs of the person. But common things that I find um, people talking about... Um, one is kind of like ambient workspace noise. So a lot of times autistic folks would prefer to work in a, either in an office by themselves, or if they have to work in a shared office space, being able to wear like noise canceling headphones, um, or the, the earplugs, um, because there are like a higher occurrence of, of auditory processing um, things that go along with autistic and ADHD identity. The, the energy that it takes to manually tune out extraneous noise takes away from focus and concentration. So it's one of those things. If somebody can wear headphones, if they're in, you know, like an open floor office plan, um, that's going to benefit them. Being able to um, (laughs) move and sit in different ways. A lot of times um, because of different um, like musculature joint things like hypermobility, a lot of uh, neurodivergent folks want to be like, have their legs tucked up in their seat um, and, you know, be, be shifting positions, be rearranging themselves um, and sitting in unconventional ways. And, um, you know, I think about, I had this experience <laughs> with a, an office um, compliance person who is, who is trying to make sure everybody was like doing things 
properly ergonomically so that there wouldn't be any like workplace compensation things, whatever. But how I was taught to sit like properly ergonomically does, would not work with my body. And, and I like, I could not sustain it. So things like that. Um, I think recognition for um, many neurodivergent folks, autistic folks would love to be able to just like have their breaks or eat their meal quietly with themselves. And it's not about being antisocial or rude or hating everybody around them. It's about having a low or no sensory space to just kind of like let everything rest for a few moments before they have to go back into meetings and phone calls and, you know, other things that kind of strain their time. Um, another one is kind of scheduling consistency. I know that there are some workplaces where folks have like a shared calendar and other people can put meetings on another person's calendar. And a lot of times for autistic folks, that can be challenging to suddenly have like new events pop up in your day. Cause many of us kind of go into the day thinking about like, okay, here's my day. I'm going to, you know, through some, I'm going to use my time. And then like, if without warning, there is a new meeting or a new something. Oh my gosh. That could totally. It's super disruptive. Throw it off. I used to tell people, I'm like, I don't know what the word is, but it's like, I get hangry with my schedule when somebody changes something last minute. It's just like, just an intense, probably disproportionate reaction, but it, it, I have calculated in my head how how I need to use my time that day. And if somebody disrupts it, it's very difficult. And so, you know, even something like that, like, hey, check in with me before you put something on my schedule. Or can I be in charge of my schedule? Yeah, something so simple, right? Like, yeah. yeah. Um, I think even for other therapists, there are therapists who talk about like, yeah, the front desk just schedules people. And like, we're not in charge of our own schedule. And I know that, that would stress me all the way out, <laughs> all the way out. So I think, you know, I, this is by far not an exhaustive list. Um, I know that, um, let's see, what's their name? Lyric Rivera, who is the creator behind Neurodivergent Rebel. I think that's their social media. They're non-binary. They are coming out with a book that, is all about workplace accommodations for neurodivergent folks. Um, And so I'm sure that's going to be an excellent resource because they have um, like a large audience that they engage with and like often poll for kind of anecdotal um, statistics of like, Hey, what do y'all need? Wow. That's a great, that's a great book topic. Um, So I'm, I'm looking forward to that as an amazing resource for employers and employees to help help inform them like, oh, this is something I could ask for. Okay. Um, and yeah. so, you know, again, it's there's a lot that's personal. And also there are employers who are committed to actually creating an inclusive and accessible environment are going to see common 
patterns and what accommodations are helpful for not just autistic and ADHD folks, but for um, all kinds of disabled, chronically ill um, employees that they have. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. So tell me about like the other end of things, people who are like, oh, I just absolutely can't do that. I want to do my own thing. What is the first step for someone who wants to start their entrepreneur life? Yeah, um, that's a good question. I have been one of those people that dives in that I'm like, oh, wait, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. I should probably learn from somebody. <laughs> Me so. too, Jennifer. That's exactly <laughs> how I go. So there's my confession, oh, right? Like, you learn what you don't okay, know along the way. How to fly while I'm uh, just right here in the air, having taken a leap. Um, so there are a number of different resources. Um, one of the things that I do is is help coach other folks in in that. Um, I think having a community of people to move through the process with is really important. Um, again, there's a lot of like, it kind of depends what is the business that you want to do. There are different things for some folks. It's art and wanting to open up an online art shop and sell their artworks or handmade goods. Um, a lot of autistic ADHD folks are creative. And so it's navigating um, the you know, the different options for an online, creating an online marketplace and then, you know, building up a following of people who want to purchase that um, for more like service-based um, businesses like coaching or um, for folks who want to open their own private practice for therapy, other, other kinds of like people industries, consulting, um, there are different structures, whether a person wants to be consulting on like a, a one-to-one basis or whether someone is interested in wanting to, hey, I want to, you know, I'm autistic. I want to be an autistic consultant for businesses to, you know, help them with the language on their website, to help them with their policies and procedures and, and get them to be actually inclusive. Those those take like different marketing approaches to be kind of marketing oneself to businesses versus marketing oneself to other individuals. Um, and so is that what you do as you're in your new gig? You walk people through this process of starting up their own thing step-by-step. Step? Is that what you do? Yeah, I help folks, you know, for some, some folks know what it is they want to do and, and, you know, that, that's one path. Some folks folks don't know what they want to do and and need some help kind of sorting through okay, I I know that this environment doesn't work for me, but what does work for me? And so I do an exercise with folks um that is a way to help them surface their strengths. It's like a, a questionnaire exercise. I also have that available free on my website. It's meant to help people just reflect through like, what are the things that you could do with your hands tied behind your back? What are the things that you can do? It's like no big deal. Um, you could do it in your sleep. A lot of times those are the things like 
because it comes easily to us, we don't always recognize that that is a strength, that is an asset, that is a thing that we can turn into an area of expertise. Um, And so I find when I do this exercise with folks, they're like, oh, I, I mean, I just do that. I didn't think it was anything special. I thought like your strength had to be this like big thing. I'm like, no, it's your strength because it comes easily to you and not everybody's brain works that way. So let's find roles that would allow you to use your brain in this way most often in, you know, in settings. So folks who discover, ooh, I really like a systems thinker and I like to strategize systems. Okay, let's look at what are all the kind of roles that you could possibly have that allow you to use that part of your brain um, because you're good at it. It's exciting for you to do that. And that comes easily to you. So the those That's are some of the conversations that we that I have with folks helping them to kind of tease out what is it that they want to spend their time doing and what is yeah. energizing. It's so important. <laughs> yes, it's so and it's it's such a need, right? Because I think so many people are so overwhelmed and so beaten down, people in the autistic community that they you know, they feel like there's nothing out there, there's no place they're going to fit, so why bother? So the fact that you offer this is pretty amazing. So I saw on social media that you're offer you're you're doing something coming up soon. Yes. What what is so, that? Thanks for asking. I have um <laughs> it's called Liberate Your Mindset. And it is a six day, I'm calling it a six day mindset cleanse at the beginning of January. Um and it will be live for six days, but everyone who registers will get access to the recordings and you can take whatever time you need to watch them if you're not available live. Um, but what we will do each on each of the six days is go through one of the different, one of the six different practices that I have um, for self-liberation. And really at the core, it is, so the, my ideal audience for this is um, other late identified autistic ADHD adults and entrepreneurs. Um, but anyone is welcome. And I think anyone would benefit. Um, but really for those of us who have lived however many decades, not knowing this about ourselves and then coming into this identity, there is a lot of mindset to shed that has been imposed on us by others. Right. Oh God. Right? Absolutely. And so that is at the heart of the mindset work that I do with folks. Like this mindset doesn't actually belong to you. It is not yours organically. It was imposed on you by the systems around us, by racism, by patriarchy, by ableism. Let's name that and let's take out the mind trash so that <laughs> there's space for you to think accurately about who you are, what you are capable of and what like value you have just inherently by existing, not because you do anything, but just by existing. Um, and so that's why I call it a mindset cleanse, because the idea is to kind of just let's let's flush the system of these really shitty things that have been imposed on us for years and years and years. And let's start the year with a fresh way of looking at ourselves. Huh. And 
<laughs> I love that. That's amazing. I'm so excited about it. Um, and so I have a special that's going on um, for this is a Neurokin VIP special. Um, that what is that? What is Neurokin? Is like kin folk who are of the of a similar neurotype. So. Okay. It's not a thing. It's just like a, yeah. a phrase. Yeah. So, so like autistics will, um, will, you know, refer to other or like neurodivergent folks refer to other neurodivergent folks as like, oh, you're my neuro kin. Like we are kind of in this. I never heard that family. before. That's, so that's I like cool. it as like a term of, Good. uh, term of endearment and affection. Um, but yeah, so I have a yeah. deal. It's available on my website, 25% off um, with some bonus coaching hours and a swag box mailed to people directly, like specifically designed for the autistic ADHD person. So there's going to be some like fun sensory things in there. (laughs) I might need one of those, Jennifer. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really excited about it. What is your website? Tell me how to, how to so you can find your find website. Me, my website is Expansive Mindset Coaching. And then on all the social medias, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, I think that's YouTube. Um, I'm Expansive Mindset Coach. And then I'm also on LinkedIn as Jennifer Allenbaugh. And you're... And your uh, YouTube show, is oh, that yes. a different title Thanks or that's the same? The YouTube show is called Autistics Unscripted. And so that's its own channel. You can, it's, I think, just youtube.com slash Autistics Unscripted. Um, and we have new episodes coming out in the next month. That's awesome. Well, I think, honestly, you have so Thank much so to offer. Much. I'm so glad that you're in this community you. because you're an oh, amazing I human. I love this conversation. Thank you for inviting me into this space and and asking me to share about these things I'm super passionate about. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for listening today. Be sure to follow the show on Instagram at atypical underscore parenting. If you like the show, help me reach more listeners like you by leaving a rating or review on your podcast platform. Wishing you all a wonderful week. Until next time.